Amen. Y'all can have a seat. Happy Easter. Easter. He is risen. risen Y'all did it. Yay. Good job. Good job. Good job. Listen, it is a great day to be here. I love uh, church on Easter. I love coming together to worship. There is an energy in the air. Uh, There are, are familiar faces. There are new faces. And I'm so glad that we get to be here together. Um, Because without the resurrection, without what today symbolizes, our faith is foolish, is what Paul said. And so today, guess what we're going to talk about? The resurrection. Right? Um, uh, We are going to be talking about the ending of the book of Mark. We've been going through a series uh, called Jesus According to Mark. We've been doing it since the, I think, the Sunday after Easter last year, right? Um, But I'm going to give you a little heads up about today. The way the gospel of Mark ends is pretty abrupt. Right? It just stops. And we'll, we'll, we'll talk about that in a minute. In a minute. But, but I think that idea, that feeling, that, that moment of something stopping before it is finished is familiar to all of us, right? Like, have you ever had something stop before it's finished? Right? And here's what I mean by that. Maybe it's something as simple as the power going out on your, in your house and you had the dishwasher going, the crock pot going, maybe the Instapot for those of you who, who are on that wagon. Like, 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 and the, when the power comes back on, like you don't know where to reset it, you don't know where it was in the process and it's frustrating, right? But maybe you've had something bigger stop before it was finished. Right? Maybe, maybe you've had a friendship or a relationship stop before it's finished. Maybe it was an unexpected breakup or even a divorce. You're doing the work to save the relationship and then it's just over. Right? Maybe, maybe uh, you had a college scholarship to go to your first choice school. <clears throat> In your senior year, you get hurt. And you can't play anymore. Not only do you lose the scholarship, but you lose your first choice school. And it's over. Maybe you have a family member, like a beloved child, who has decided not to be in contact with the family anymore. And it hurts. It stops before it's finished. Maybe, maybe you had a retirement account, lose everything right before you retire. Maybe you got fired. And it meant that you not only lost a job, but you lost a profession, you lost a career, you lost a life that you really enjoyed and it stopped before it was finished. You see, all of these are examples of, of things stopping before it's, 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 it's stopping before it's finished. And if you have experienced this, I think the way Mark ends his gospel shows us what Jesus has for us when stuff stops before it's finished. When anything stops before it's finished. And listen, if, if what I'm talking about doesn't make any sense to you, and you've never had something stop before it's finished, then I need you to take notes today, right? Because you're going to have something stop before it's finished. And you're going to need to know what Jesus has for you in the midst of that. And so, so with that, if you have your Bible, open it up to Mark chapter 16. Uh, We're going to be doing verses 1 through 8. If you don't have a Bible, you're welcome to grab one on the way out and take it with you. Uh, We're also in the Bible app. 
If you have the Bible app on your phone, you can go there. I think we're under, if you go to events, the scripture's there, or just go to the Gospel of Mark in the Bible app, and that'll, that'll do that too. And if this is your first Sunday, welcome. If I haven't got a chance to meet you, my name is Fred. Uh, I get to be the lead pastor here, and I am really excited we get to be here together today. And Mark, the Gospel of Mark, like I said, we've been going through it for a year now. And what's interesting about the Gospel of Mark is that Mark was a second-generation Christian, right? He wasn't one of the 12 disciples with Jesus. He compiled stories. He compiled, he compiled an account of Jesus from Peter, from, from the other disciples, from, from other people who knew Jesus. And he did the, his gospel account for a very particular reason. He's, he's showing us what Jesus did. He's showing us who Jesus is. And then he keeps putting these little droplets. He keeps putting these little markers in there to invite us in. And that's the way he leaves us today is we're going to see Mark draw us in not only to Jesus's life, but also to Jesus's mission. And as he draws us in, he's going to leave us in a place where we get to decide what do we do with Jesus? What do we do with the mission of Jesus. And so what I hope happens today as we go through this is that we do leave here with more clarity about not only what we do with Jesus, but what do we do with what Jesus calls us into, especially when things stop before they're finished. All right, Mark chapter uh, 16, verse 1 says this. It says, And when the Sabbath was passed, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James, and Salome brought spices so that they might go anoint him. Now, if you remember, if you were here last week or listened last week or watched last week's um, sermon, we, we saw seven different reactions to the crucifixion of Jesus. Right? And, and the women, I said, hold on to their reaction till next week because we're going to see them next week. Well, this is next week, so we get to see their reaction, right? But what we saw last week was that they watched, right? They were witnesses. They saw what happened to Jesus and they saw where Jesus was buried. And here's why because they wanted to come the next morning and properly prepare him for burial. If you remember, uh, he, he died on the cross and Joseph Arimathea took him, put him in Joseph's tomb that he had and basically did a quick burial because, because Sabbath was coming and so he didn't have time to do everything that they normally do. And so, so that's why Jesus, uh, that's why these women came to the tomb. The spices that they have are spices that you use to prepare someone for burial, right? And so these women came expecting death, right? To them, let's put ourselves in their shoes, to them, or sandals as the case may be, to them, the mission of God had stopped, right? Because they had followed Jesus. They had heard him preach that he was the Messiah, that he was the Savior. They had seen him give evidence of that time and time again. And they took everything that was true about them, everything that they had, and they gave that to the mission of Jesus. And now they're showing up to a tomb where his body is buried because to them, the mission of God had stopped. The mission was a failure. Right? Imagine what that felt like for them. Imagine what that experience was like for them. It was, a lot, it was like something stopping before it's finished. This wasn't what they had planned, right? Anybody in life right now, 
dealing with something you didn't have planned? Yeah. Like this is where these women are. And here's, here's what that can often feel like, right? It can often feel like failure, right? I, I've done everything for this, and now this happens. What did I do wrong? What did I do wrong? You know, I, I wonder if you fall in one of, one of two camps. Maybe there's more. I had a, a very wise counselor and mentor uh, help me understand how I deal with failure. And, and, and what they pointed out was that I am not afraid of failure, right? I, I started a church in a recession. I, I left a, a, a comfortable church and comfortable job to, to, to start this church. Like if I was afraid of failure, I wouldn't have done any of those things. But what they helped me understand is that when somebody calls me a failure, it shuts me down. Like I just stop. And what's interesting is I wonder if you fall in this camp where either you're afraid of failure or maybe you're afraid of someone calling you a failure. Maybe you're afraid of, of, of being found out, right? Have you ever heard of the imposter syndrome where you're doing everything right in your job but you think today's the day that somebody's gonna find out I'm doing it all wrong, right? Afraid of failure. Well, oftentimes when something stops before it's finished, it can feel like failure. Well, let's see what God does in verses 2 and 3. Here's, let's, let's pick up with these women again. In verse 2 it says, And very early on the first day of the week when the sun had risen, they went to the tomb. And they were saying to one another, Who will roll away the stone uh, from the entrance to the tomb? Right? Who will roll away the stone for us from the entrance to the tomb? Now, here's the deal. These women have seen Jesus cast out demons, right? They have seen Jesus heal the sick. They have seen Jesus feed thousands of people with two loaves and a fish. They have seen Jesus raise the dead. And now they come to the tomb worried about a rock, worried about a stone. You see, you see, failure often feels hopeless. Because when things stop before they're finished, when, 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 when failure sets in, it's so easy to be in these women's shoes, right? It's so easy to think that God has stopped doing <coughs> excuse me, what, he is, what he's known to do. That when all the things that Jesus has done don't matter, it feels hopeless, right? That, that the past doesn't matter what Jesus has done. This time will be the time that he doesn't. This time will be the time that he doesn't pull through. This time will be the time that he doesn't provide, that he doesn't care, that he doesn't comfort me. This will be the time that nothing works out and the bottom falls out when something stops before it's finished. When we fail, when we're hopeless. And just so you know, this is what hope means. Hope means to anticipate the good. Hope means to anticipate the good. It is more than a wish. It is better than an intention. It is the realization that God is good. And it is a foundational belief that all good things come from God. And that if all good things come from God, 
God delights to give me good, not harm, all the days of my life. You see, these women are right where we all have been and where some of us are, where they are not anticipating the good. They come to a tomb expecting death, and this little problem of a stone seems like a big problem to them. Because when we're hopeless, little things seem really big, don't they? Well, look, look at what God does in verse 4. In looking up, they saw the stone had been rolled back. And Mark wants us to know it was very large. Right? Like the stone was rolled back. So here's the deal. These, the, 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 this group of women come to the tomb expecting death, expecting to, 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 to anoint Jesus for burial. And they come up going, girl, what are we going to do about that stone? How are we going to do that? Can you do it? I'm not going to do it. And, and that's what they're talking about on the way. And then all of a sudden they show up and the stone is rolled back. Now, in my mind, I've tried to picture what this must have been like, right? Like, like I want to make it like this big sci-fi thing, like maybe a lightsaber came out from behind it, you know, and cut it off and, and moved it like, like, like all this thing. But, but knowing our God, it was actually probably very common. The ground shook, the stone rolled, right? And these women show up, and the tomb is open. Their problem is solved. And y'all, here's what I love about our God, that he works good for us, in us, and through us, and for us, even when we don't have hope. Even when we're standing here in hopelessness, wondering what in the world is going to happen, there's no way this is going to work out. And hope over here looks impossible. Why would I hope? Why would I anticipate the good? Because everything is going wrong. And what we don't know is that all around us is God is working good in us and through us because he is good. He is doing good in you and around you even when you have nothing left in you except to look for the get for the bad. Right? He's doing good in and around you because he is good. Church, do y'all believe? Church, do we believe? That God is good. All right, now, you know I'm not going to let that be it, right? Like, at least an evangelical grunt, right? You know, the mmm, mmm, right? Give me at least that. I appreciate the head nod. That's good. Like, we, we caught that. But y'all, do we believe that God is good? Yes. Yes. Do we believe that God is good when things look awful? Yes. Do we believe that God is good when we don't have any hope ahead of us? Yes. yes. Let's keep reading. Verse 5. And entering the tomb, they saw a young man sitting on the right side, dressed in a white robe, and they were alarmed. Understatement of the gospel. 
right? They walk in to a tomb expecting to see death, and they see a guy sitting there in a white robe. Mark wants us to know he's sitting on the right side because that is a favorable position, that not only is God good, the messengers that he's sending are good because this guy is sitting on the right side. He's sitting in the favored position. And so all of a sudden in this tomb, there is God's goodness all around them. They came expecting to see death, and they see this young man sitting in a favorable position because Mark wants us to know that God is good, that this man is good. And this is what God does. This is what God's goodness does. Even when we feel like a a failure, even when we feel hopeless, even when things stop before they're finished, God can surprise us with goodness. God can surprise us with his goodness. And here's, here's, here's my question for us today, and here's what Mark is going to do when he draws us in in just a minute. If we're standing here in hopelessness, and things have stopped before they're finished, and, and the plans we had for our life are shifting like sand under our feet, and we don't know what to do, and we're standing here in hopelessness, he's going to ask us to shift over to hope instead. And one of the ways for us to do that is basing who we are in the fact, y'all all said you believe it, that God is good. Right? Because here's what we see. In the midst of their sorrow, and grief, and hopelessness, which, y'all, I hope you don't think I'm, I'm like giving them any judgment. I am not, because I've been there. And it's hard. And in the midst of it, God is working good around them, and for them, and in them. Because you see, here's what happens if we open ourselves to the goodness of God. Because look at what the angel says next. And the rest of verse 6, or the end of verse 6, he says, He who was crucified, and he said to them, do not be alarmed, right? Verse 6. And he said to them, do not be alarmed. You seek Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified. That's the end of the story. That's what they know. But the angel tells them more. He is risen. He is not here. You see, church, he is risen. Good, 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 good. You're still with me. Yes, he is risen. He is risen indeed. Like, that's what the angel is telling them. Like, like he's not here. He's risen. His body hasn't been stolen. It hasn't been faked. He is risen just like he said it would be, just like he told you it would happen. And do you know what this means for them? And do you know what this means for us when we're standing here in hopelessness? It means that, that for them, hope is restored. Which means if you're standing here in hopelessness, and I know some of you have come into this place and you're trying really hard to hope. Here's what I can tell you. There will be a moment and there will be a day where hope is restored. Right? And if you don't have faith to believe that, then borrow that faith from all of us who have said, we believe that God is good. And we believe that God is working in you. We believe that God is working for you. And we believe that, that, that when hope is restored, especially when things stop before they're finished, especially when failure sets in, when you feel hopeless, 
When you open yourself up, open your soul up to the goodness of God, you get to see God do what only God can do. Only God can raise the dead. And he is risen. He is risen. And do you see some of you are still with me? Good, good, good. The resurrection restores hope. They came expecting to see death, and instead they see life. Right? They came expecting to prepare a body for burial because the mission of God felt like it had failed. But what they're about to find out is that mission of God never failed, and they get to be a part of it. Look at the rest of verse 6. He says this. He says, uh, he says, see the place where they laid them. So he said, he is risen, he is not here. See the place where they laid him. Now here's what I find interesting. As I, as I thought about this and meditated on this and prayed through this and preparing for this sermon, that part of this became really, uh, like I, I began to fix it. I'm like, why would the angel say, see, he's not here? Like, like that would be pretty obvious, I would think. Right? And I thought maybe because it's a little dark in there, but I thought, nah, I mean, you step into a dark place and any amount of light helps you to see. Like, like, why would the angel point to them, see, he's not here? And I think it's because of this. Because when we feel hopeless, when things stop before they finish, when we feel like a failure, our tendency is to, is to, is to in hopelessness, stay over here in the past. Right? Oh, this is what should have happened. This is what I should have done, right? Like, like, like if they would have done this, then this wouldn't have happened. I blame them, I blame me. Like we stay over here and we are like, we are like backseat drivers to our own life. But the angel is saying, Jesus isn't where he was. That with Jesus, with hope, we get to meet Jesus where he is instead of where we were. You see, when we follow the resurrected Jesus, we get to meet with him every single day. And he not only meets with us today, he'll carry us into the new, like hope shows us where Jesus is. Hopelessness shows us where we were, but hope shows us where Jesus is. You see, failure, that's what failure does. Failure keeps reminding us of what we were and what was, right? What was wrong, what was right, what was bad, what was good, what happened before. But hope, hope invites us to meet Jesus today and invites us to go with him into the future, which is what we're going to see. It's why the angel says this in verse 7. But go tell his disciples and Peter that he is going before you to Galilee, and there you will see him just as he told you. Right? In the ESV version that I'm using today, the angel uses the words, going before you. Is that the same word in your translation? I think the NIV uses going before you. Anybody have a different translation? Okay, it's all going before you. Here's what's interesting. The, the, the word that the angel uses, the Greek, it doesn't mean like Jesus is playing follow the leader with you. It has more weight to it. It's the weight of a commander of an army leading their troops, right? It's this idea that, that Jesus has got this mission, he has got this plan, and he is on his way. Will you join him? 
Will you be part of this group of people who are on mission with God? Will you do what Jesus has asked you to do? Right? See, this is Mark's way of asking this very important question. Will you follow Jesus? It's the question before them. He's on his way to Galilee. He's going before you. Your commander is going before you, and he will be in Galilee, just like he said. The question that's not asked but implied is, will you follow? Will you go with him? It's the question that Mark has kept asking us throughout this entire gospel. Will you follow? Will you follow Jesus where he leads? Will you be a bearer of this hope, telling others that Jesus is risen from the dead? Will you be this follower of Jesus into the goodness of God, even when you fail, even when things stop before they're finished? To all of us, the question is, will we follow Jesus? And so church, then, I've, I've kind of primed your engines a little bit. So let's answer this question together. We believe that God is good. The question is, will we follow Jesus? And so church, will we follow Jesus? Yes, we will. Why not? Who else are you going to follow? I had a friend of mine ask me, and, and uh, she is this, this awesome, awesome lady, not a follower of Jesus, has church experience, but not good church experience. You know those friends? And, and she searched different religions, tried different religions, and she looked at me and she's like, Fred, why Jesus? Why Jesus? And I said, honestly, because I can't find anyone better. It's as simple as that. If I could find someone better, I would follow them. But I haven't. Which was an interesting response. Because she knows I'm a pastor. And I don't know what she expected, but she went, okay then. <laughs> and that was it. Because it's true. Who else are we going to follow? You know, the angel did something else that I want us to pay attention to. Do you notice who he specifically called out? Peter. What was Peter doing the last time we saw him? He was denying Jesus, wasn't he? Called out by some little girl. Right? Not that there's anything wrong with little girls. I'm just saying there's this contrast, right? Right? And then we see him scatter and run. And this angel says, hey, by the way, Jesus specifically wants to talk to Peter. Let him know to be there. Now, how many of y'all, when I say that, you think, oh, yeah, I bet he does. Like, but remember, what do we believe about God? He's good. How's he going to treat Peter? Good. The way we want to be treated when we fail. That's what Jesus does because God is good. You see, God doesn't need our perfection. He didn't need Peter's perfection. He needs our devotion. He doesn't need our effort. He needs our attention. That's what he wants. You see, even though we're like Peter many times and we fail God, God never fails us and he calls us specifically to follow him no matter what we've done. And if you're here today, seriously, like no matter what you've done, Jesus is asking you, will you follow? 
You see, Jesus, the same way he wanted to look at Peter, he wants to look at you and say, will you follow? Verse 8. Verse 8 says this. And they, and they went out and fled from the tomb, for trembling and astonishment had seized them. And they said nothing to anyone because they were afraid. It's the end. That's where Mark ends. Now, your, your Bible might have some more verses. Uh, most commentators believe those were added later to kind of fill in some gaps and fill in the story. So I'm stopping it here because the earliest manuscripts don't have that. And I think there's a reason for that. I think Mark wants us to stop right here because the question is laid out before us. What are we going to do with Jesus? And what are we going to do with his mission? And I think, too, what we also have to keep in mind is that the people that Mark wrote this letter for, the people that read it in the congregations they read it, they knew these women. And they knew women who knew these women. And they knew how the story ended. They knew that these women met Jesus in a garden and their fear turned to faith. And they became the very first evangelist for the resurrected Jesus. They became the first ones to tell the disciples, he is risen, which initiated a foot race right, between Peter and John to go, to go verify it, right? But they become the evangelist. Like, like, he stops here because the congregation would be like, whoa, you were afraid? I'm afraid all the time. My boss at work, I really want to talk to him about Jesus, but I'm afraid. And he draws us in and says, yeah, but will you follow? It's okay. It's okay. Failure doesn't have the final word. Failure isn't final. It's okay. Will you follow Jesus? You see, there's this other thing. You know, when, when, when Mark ends his gospel, he ends abruptly. And I think, I think it's interesting. This is, this is something I found pretty cool, too. Is that the beginning of Mark, Mark Chapter 1, verse 1. It's interesting. Mark starts it off in an interesting way that you really only don't catch until you get to the end and it just stops where the women leave and we don't know what happens. Mark says, the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, Son of God. Now John starts his gospel within the beginning. Right? Because he's kind of nodding to, to Genesis, but he's also saying this is a, a historical account. So we have a beginning, we have a middle, and we have an end. Mark just starts off with the beginning of the gospel. And then there's no end in his letter. It just stops. Do you know why? Because the end is revelation. Do you know where we are? Mark is inviting you in. The gospel started with the announcement that the Savior was coming. The gospel is going to end in the future with this final declaration. And the question for us as we are in between is, will we continue this story? Will we be a disciple of Jesus? Will we be people who, who battle with failure, who battle with fear, who move on ahead? Like, like will, we, will this, the gospel of Jesus continue with us? That's the way it ends. The question will be, will we follow the resurrected Jesus? And so here's what this means. Will you see him as the Jesus he is? Right? 
Mark has been asking us, what do we do with the person of Jesus? We trust him. We accept his offer of salvation. We realize that he is the Messiah. He is the savior of the world who takes away the power and penalty of sin and allows you and me to have this good and right relationship with the God who created us and the God who loves us. And only Jesus does that. Right? And if you haven't said yes to Jesus as your savior, then let today be the day that that happens. Whether you're here or online, like whatever, let today be the day that that happens. Right? I mean, Easter's a great day to say yes to Jesus. But for those of us who had, who have said yes to Jesus, I want us to, to apply this because here's the deal. Today's going to be a great day. You've got family, you got friends, y'all all look really good. Like you've showered, like you're winning at today already, right? But you know what happens tomorrow? Monday. All right? And all the things that Monday brings. And we can enter mon- Monday hopeless, or we can enter Monday with hope. And here's what I want to leave us with today. If you find yourself over here in hopelessness, whether it's big stuff or little stuff or little stuff that seems big and then you get mad because it's little stuff and you know it's little stuff but it seems big and you can't fight it yourself, that's what hopelessness feels like. And when you're here, here's what I want you to do. Is I want you just to say this very simple prayer. It's Jesus, help me see the goodness of God around me. That's all I want you to do. Is to open your soul to the goodness of God. Because then what happens is you get to see it. And y'all, it can be big, it can be small, but you see it. And when you see it, you move over to hope. And as you see it, you get to see God do what only God can do. You will see him heal broken hearts. You will see him restore relationships. You will see him do what only he can do. Now give it time, right? But you will see God do what only he can do. Jesus, help me to see the goodness of God around me. Because church, is God good? Yes. Let's pray. Jesus, you are good. And if you weren't, why would we be here? Why would we be here worshiping some fickle God who might be mad at us today, might be glad with us tomorrow? But God, you, because of Jesus, you look at us and you see children, you see beloved children. And you do nothing but give us good, even when it seems bad. It is good because it's from your hands. And so God, help us to see the goodness around us when we're hopeless, when we fail, when we feel like a failure, when things stop before they, they're finished, help us to see your goodness and restore our hope. In Christ's name we pray, amen.